a second to thank these guys who are up front here, who, who come every week and lead us in worship. I mean, they're not doing that, so I would stand up here and say that, but they, they do this every week, and it's, it's been... <laughs> What I've noticed in churches a lot of times is those who lead us musically often become like air. Um, like, you sort of take them for granted. You just sort of assume them until they aren't there or until you don't have any of it. And, and so I want to make sure that never happens here because they're, they're, you are ministering to my heart every single week. Uh, just a walking, talking, living, breathing uh, tangible blessing from God. So that's, that's, uh, I, just, I just need to make sure that was known. Um, okay, now we're in John 3 this morning. Uh, if you remember last week, we were with Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus famously told Nicodemus that you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus did not understand that. Uh, he was sort of lost, probably a little frustrated by that. And Jesus gave him an incredible example of what he's talking about when he said this. He said that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that rolls us right into our passage for this week. Okay, you'll see the connectivity. This is why we go uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through books of the Bible, so that we'll see the sort of connective tissue in there. So what I'd like you to do is just stand with me now. If you are able, stand with me and let's tune our hearts to what the Lord is going to say to us through his word. Uh, Remember those last words of verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, just like we talk about musicians uh, being taken for granted We take for granted that you are a God who speaks to us, that you are a God who's given us your word, that you didn't stay far distant, that you didn't stay silent, you didn't just count on on an incredible view to lead us to you, you didn't count on some mountaintop experience or some incredible sunset, but you have actually given us your word. You have spoken to us that we might know you. Lord, help us, help me not to take that for granted. We pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please please be seated. Well, this is easily, I mean easily, uh, 
the most memorized verse in all of Scripture, right? I mean, John 3.16, I mean, that's the one that pro athletes, like, write underneath their autographs. It's the one that the crazy guy in the stands has on the sign, tracking around with the motions of the camera so that he gets optimal TV time. There's actually a great 30 for 30 special on that guy if you want to check it out. He actually ended up in prison. It's a sad story. I won't, I won't go any further than that. But um, it's the one that Martin Luther, when he considered the Bible, said that th- th- this verse is the gospel in miniature. John 3, 16. And yet in terms of understanding, R.C. Sproul tells us, this is his opinion, that it has become the most distorted verse. He says that's because people who love the apparent universality of this verse hate the undeniable particularity of it. You see, people who embrace the idea of God as, as loving everyone and, and everything and, and, and never condemning any of it, they love that God so loved the world on the front end, they're forced to reconcile on the back end the exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way, the only way, to, cry, to, to God. And so in a culture of everyone is just sort of tracking uh, on their own path, everybody's climbing the same mountain and we're all going to get there however, however we choose, as long as you do good things, then, then that will guarantee you a place. We know that there's only one way of salvation. And so you can dodge left, you can dip right, you can, you can, you can blaze a new trail all you want. Listen, there are infinite number of pathways to make it through this life, but there is only one way only one door, only one access, and that's Jesus Christ. Some will ask, how, how can that be true? I mean, a lot of us are church people, so we may not. We think, yeah, of course. But uh, if you had never heard this, like if, John, if you just heard John 3.16 for the first time today, by some miracle, that was the first time you've ever heard that, you might begin to ask, well, how can that be? Like if God is loving It says right there that God so loved the world, right? If God is loving, why does he make it so difficult to be saved? Like, why would he only give one way? Why would he limit it? And like Nicodemus, they'll cry out. In fact, I've had this conversation with someone. They'll cry out to me, maybe not in these exact words, but they'll say, how can these things be? Remember, that's what Nicodemus said last week. How can these things be? You're destroying everything that I've ever, I've ever believed. How can these things be? How can it be that this God who so loves the world would only give one way to salvation, only one way to eternal life? Most of that questioning results from a flawed understanding of the word love in general. You see, we live in an age where love is, a, is basically a hijacked term, right? I mean, I... <laughs> I tell my wife every single day, I love you, right? I say that. I'm not lying. I do. I promise. I say that every day. But I also, if I catch myself during the day, I, also, I love all kinds of things if, if it's just based on words. Like I love, we will go to lunch after this and I'll probably love whatever I have to eat. Like I love dry fit socks. I don't, I don't, whoever invented dry fit socks is my favorite uh, creator in, in, in this entire era. That, that somebody came up with a sock that, that keeps your feet dry all through the day. That's brilliant. I've literally said those words. I love dry fit socks. I say the same word to my, I love you. I love you more than socks. I promise. But we, you see this? It's a hijacked term. It's been so corrupted because we love everything. Man, I love this building. 
I love this music. I love the carpet in here. I really don't. But I, I, we, we love the fact that there is carpet in here. We love all kinds of things. It's just such an empty term if we're not careful. It's become sort of ambiguous, almost a nebulous word that just means whatever we want it to in whatever scenario we're in. We've marginalized it. We've, I heard it said one time that we have neutered it, like we've robbed it of its essence. We've taken the word and we've given it not a new meaning, but no meaning. No meaning. And the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that it is about God's love. This is, this, is, this is a God's love, a love of God passage. And the first thing I want us to notice is that God's love gives. Look back at verses 16 through 18 with me. Read, try and hear this as if you've never heard it before. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You see, God's love gives we see it expressed right there in verse 16. God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. We see an immediate connection between the feeling of love and the expression of it or the actions that accompany it. Love gives. When we, when we go to a wedding and we see the bride and groom standing before each other and, and typically they will face each other and they'll hold hands, the very first thing that they do together is give to one another. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. But when they turn and they face one and they hold hands and they, and they make a vow, right? They make a promise. We call it a covenant. They are, make, they are giving themselves to one another. This is the gift that I am giving you. And on that day, it always feels like a gift, right? It's not until like later in the year that they're like, I'm not sure this was really a gift every day. Um, but, but on that day, everybody's happy, right? And, um, but they're giving this gift. I'm giving myself to you. I'm making this promise. I'm making this the very first thing that a couple who is saying we love one another, that they are giving to each other. And this isn't a little thing. Listen, love, love must be expressed. It must be said and it must be done. For me to say to my wife that I love her and then demonstrate that by, by ignoring her, by belittling her, in our world today, if you're not sick of hearing about abusing, uh, especially the abuse of wives and spouses and, and females in general, like for me to say I love you and then ignore her, to belittle her, or to, to abuse her is to make me a liar. I mean, that's because my actions don't demonstrate what I'm saying. My life will demonstrate a lack of love, and anyone in position to observe me will see my hypocrisy despite my claims of love. Now over in 1 John 4, 8, we read that if anyone, that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Did you, did you, so that's that famous little, little part right there, that God is love. If you ever follow discussion boards related to anything having to do with the church or Christianity or religion in general, eventually someone will say that, and then they'll use it to justify all sorts of other things, most of the time poorly, all right? But this is, this is, this is in the Bible, okay? This is, this is God's revealing of his character to us. It's part of his self-disclosure to us of his nature. He says, I am love. God is 
love. I didn't look that up on some website of like inspirational God quotes. It's right there in the Bible. God makes it known that He is love. It's not just that He is loving. He doesn't just demonstrate love, but He is love. He is the fullness and essence of love. And then John, understanding that we might rightly ask some sort, for some sort of evidence. Okay, this is who you say you are. Now prove it. It says this, right after saying God is love, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You see, God's love gives. It gives. And we're, and we're not talking about tokens. Like We're not talking about giving out little trinkets or even just temporal pleasures in this world. When we talk about the love of God, we're talking about a love expressed in the giving of of his son, his only son. Like he gives, he gives prodigiously. That's, that's a word that I've, I've come to. Like even when we were up here doing the children's thing, asking what my son is worth, and, and, and somebody says a hundred billion, we know that this is a priceless thing standing before us, right? That, that, that there is no price we could put on. This is my firstborn son. And I'm my only son, but he's my firstborn son. And, and that we're, uh, somebody said five, and I want to be honest, that was a little cheap, okay? But, but that, that, that was a kid, so it was okay. Five bucks to my four-year-old probably is a lot. But a hundred billion, and even in my mind, I'm thinking that's not even close. You're not even the neighborhood of what it would cost for me to give you my son. The singer-songwriter Rich Mullins uh, described it this way. He called it the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. The reckless, raging fury. That has always stuck with me. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible calls it the the never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That is the anthem. That is the, the refrain that echoes throughout that entire book, that this is what the love of God is. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. And how is it expressed? It is manifested in the fact that God gave His only Son. Gave His only Son so that we might live, that He might be our Redeemer. You see, the glory of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, the good news, is that it is the most one-sided exchange that we could possibly conceive of. He gets all of our sin. Jesus gets all of our mess. He gets all the filthy rags that we wear and carry around with us. He gets all of that and he takes it. He takes it upon himself. He takes the lies upon himself. He takes my lies. Let me personalize this so you don't think I'm talking about you. He takes my lies. He takes my selfishness. He takes my pride. He takes my wandering eyes and my mind that tells me all the time that I am good enough. Maybe you can relate to that. I hope I'm not the only one in here who deals with sin. I don't think I am. He takes all of that. He he takes all the hurt. He takes all the pain that I have caused to those both intentionally and unintentionally. He takes all of that all of the mess, all the stuff that we try to hide away, that we would hate for anyone in this room to know about us. He takes that upon himself. And you know what he gives us in exchange? He gives us his righteousness. It is the greatest, most one-sided exchange in history. He gets our sin 
we get his righteousness. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the first thing. God's love gives. That's the first. God's love gives. The second one, and, you, I, and I love alliterations because it, it helps me. So I'm going to use a couple of words here that we don't normally use because the thesaurus gave them to me this week. All right? That's, that's, I promise you I don't use these in normal language, but we're using them today. The second one is God's love gleams, right? Right? I'm, that's a stretch. I promise you, but it's okay because we're stretching together. Um, I know we don't use that word a lot, but look back at verse 19. God's love gleams. Here's 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You know, when I was a kid, there were some things like if, and if you think about on, back in your childhood, you young guys, I don't know what your fears are now because it really depends on what shows you're allowed to watch in your house. But when I was a kid, I, I was genuinely concerned that quicksand was going to play a part in my life at some point. Like I, I remember being out in the woods. If you, we, I grew up out in the middle of nowhere, not a neighbor around. I had two sisters, no neighbors, all right? And so I just had to like entertain myself out in the woods. And I remember legitimately walking around thinking, I got to be careful here. Because if I step in the quicksand, I'll just vanish into the earth and nobody will even know. I'll just be lost forever. I watched a lot of Dukes of Hazard as a kid and I always wondered, what is going to happen to me when I come upon a random cache of wet dynamite, right? Anybody else? If you grew up in the 80s, it was always dynamite in shows. <laughs> like, what, are, what were they doing in that season? It was just dynamite everywhere and it's very dangerous. I know that. I know it. I've never in my life come across either of those two things. The other one was UFOs. Still, um, there's this dark season in humanity, okay? It was quicksand, dynamite, and UFOs. One of those three was going to get you if you were a kid. Fear is a funny thing. Fear is a funny thing because we often are afraid of ideas that might not ever become a reality. Like, I also remember the day when I was a kid standing out in my yard. I already told you how lonely my childhood was, so embrace that. And I was throwing up a baseball and just kind of hitting it, right? Just throwing it around and hitting it and... um, because I didn't have anybody, if, if dad was cutting grass, it was just, that was the only option I had, throw it to myself and hit it. And so I did, and it was a, I swung with everything I had, um, which wasn't much, but I got a hold of that one, all right? And I crushed it, and I'm like, yes, look at, and it's sailing, and it sailed right into the windshield of my dad's truck that he'd had about three days, right? It was a really bad day, um, crack was impressive. It was like in slow motion, you know, up, out. I was like, oh man, this is bad. This is really not going to go well for me. I quickly gathered all the evidence, you know, uh, get the ball, probably chunked it in the lake. Uh, it never existed. Um, put the bat back in the bag so it looked like nobody ever had it. Um, I didn't leave a single fingerprint because that was the other thing you knew as a child. Don't leave fingerprints. They will find you, right? Whoever they are. And so I, I, then my next move was to go inside and to just hide, but not hide like in my room, but hide in plain sight. I had a plan. All right. I'm going to sit on the couch, act as if nothing's happened. Um, and just see how this plays out, you know. Uh, I also remember feeling like an incredible weight of guilt. Um, not just that I'd broken the windshield, but because in my mind, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm hiding, as I'm, as I'm crawling into my little corner, 
that I have fractured the relationship between myself and my father. There is this now, there is this gap between us. There is a lie there. There is deception there. There is darkness between us that I have brought into this relationship because of my fear. All I could do is hide. I was just paralyzed in this fear of being exposed, of being found out. I was hiding. And just like the wicked man in our verse here who hates the light. You know, in that moment of doubting the love of my father, I was really doubting my place in his family. And I was scared that if I... If what I'd ever done, if what I had done was ever exposed, I would surely meet an untimely demise, right? You know, that's happened to me. Not, <laughs> I haven't broken a lot of windshields. Some, not a lot. Uh, uh, but in the course of my life, how many times have I hidden from my father because I was afraid of, of how he would look at me? knowing all the while that in my hiding I was doing far more damage than I was doing good. You see, in our sin, in our depravity, man, we love the darkness. I mean, we run to it. We embrace the darkness. We think it's our home. Like, we think it's our refuge, that there's going to be safety there. But it's kind of like living in a, it's kind of like living in a moldy, rotten house. While the darkness seems to be protecting us, it's really destroying us with each toxic breath. And so God, in his love, he he sent the light. He sent the light not to just be here, but to come and to shine and to do something, not just around the darkness, not in the vicinity of the darkness, but in the darkness. By the way, that's one of the reasons why this place cannot be the church. I need you to hear that. Like this place or wherever place we ever end up cannot be the church. If this is the light, it will be around the darkness. It will be in the vicinity of the darkness, but it will never be in the darkness. That's why the church must and shall be the people of God, not the place where they gather. It's a very important distinction because you live in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in your workplace, you live in the darkness. It will never be about a building here. God, in his love, sends that light to shine. He sent the light right into the places that we like to hide, just like I was hiding on the couch that day. He shines a light on that. And we, hoping we won't be found, hoping we won't be exposed, know all the while that God sees this. Remember what he said in uh, in chapter 1? Verse 5, now we were there about six months ago, it feels like, but the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what it said. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So, so listen to me. Like, like, uh, like look right at me for just a second. I, I, I want you to hear this with all the honesty I can give you, with all the love and affection that I promise it is coming from. You have already been exposed. You have been exposed. It's not that you will be exposed. You have been. Verse 20 reminds us that the light has come. The light has come into the world. The light is here. The light is shining. The light is gleaming. See there? I brought it back. I told you we would use that word. The light is gleaming. It is presently and persistently exposing every corner 
of the darkness. And so again, it's not that the darkness hasn't been exposed. It's that the darkness has been exposed and it hates it. It hates it. It's, what the, it's that what is wicked has been seen. It's been clearly seen. The light is turned on and, the, and just like a cockroach, the world runs to its dark, safe corners. But we need to remember. And I want you to hear this. I want you to understand that, that this is actually good news for us. Our being exposed by God is not bad news. It's actually really, really good news. That every thought, every action, every motivation of our fallen sinful hearts has been exposed by the glorious vision of the holy and righteous Son of Man. The light has shined. It has gleamed. We are exposed. And so the good news for you is now you can stop trying to hide. You can save a whole lot of your energy that I know you're spending trying to hide that sin from God trying to hide pain, trying to hide shame and doubt and uncertainty. You can stop because he already knows it. He knows the brokenness in your family, man. Like, that's not a secret you can keep from him. He knows the the pain in your heart over loss and, and unfulfilled expectations. He knows all of that. You can stop hiding. The game is over. We played hide and seek in our community group a few weeks ago. If you didn't know, that's what community groups do. Most of the time we just play hide and seek uh, with the kids. And uh, I, it was in our house, and so I know all the good spots, right? And so the uh, uh, little Emma was playing with me, right? We were, we were hiding it up pretty good. And I found the best hiding space in our entire house, right? On the couch, underneath all the pillows. One of the, a couple of the other guys helped me get underneath them. Thought for sure I'd never be found, right? I was also suffocating and praying I would be found. But she, she did, in fact, find me. And she came and she pulled off one of the pillows. And I just kept my face buried in the, in the cushions. Because if, like a child, if, she can't, if I can't see her, she can't see me, right? Have you ever played with like your three-year-old hide-and-seek? And they just stand in the middle of the house just like this? And you keep counting like a goon, you know, hoping that they figure something out. One, is he going to move? Two, right? Don't you understand this is how God sees us when we try to hide from him? We're standing in the middle of the living room counting, going, uh, uh, okay, ready or not, here he comes. You know, he's like, hey, man, I'm here. But the good news for us is he doesn't come and smack us. Like he doesn't say, man, what an idiot. I mean, I didn't do that with my kids. Look at this. Man, he's got no future. <laughs> Hiding in the middle of the living room. What is this kid's got? He's going nowhere in life. Laurie, we've got to have another one. Um, <laughs> no, we come up. We even remember what did, what did you do as a parent? Or what will you do as a parent? You'll walk around them, you'll look in places where they're clearly not. And then you'll come back and you'll put your arm around them and you'll say, gotcha, my turn, you know. And then you'll hide behind a chair. We are exposed. And our Heavenly Father doesn't come and say, what a moron for trying to hide. He says, do you remember that I loved the world so much, that I loved you so much, that I gave my son for you? God sent his son for the world, for fallen, for rebellious for enemies of righteousness. We have to remember that Jesus did not come to a perfect world. He didn't. He didn't even come to a neutral world. He came to a broken world. 
came to a broken world full of evil. And the reason, his motivation, the reason he came was love. He didn't come to condemn everyone, but to save some. And the question we should ask in light of this is, is not, we shouldn't be asking, well, why is there only one way to salvation? The, The question we really should be asking is, why is there even one way? The only explanation for this is the love of God. And that serves as a motivation for us, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If we understand that God did this, that by his grace you have been saved, only by his grace through faith that you have been saved, then we find that God's love doesn't just give, his love doesn't just gleam, but God's love now galvanizes. And I told you, I'm I'm using words today that we don't use a lot. God's love galvanizes. Look back at verse 21. We saw in 20 that people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 21 says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, when we are graciously exposed in our, in our sin and quickened by the Holy Spirit into life and we begin to understand the truth of God's love, we are galvanized, we are startled, we are surprised and, and moved to action. That's what it means to be galvanized. It means to be, to be suddenly and unexpectedly startled into activity. That's what it means. That something happens and we have to respond. It's more than just a motivation. Like it's more than just a new desire. To be galvanized is to be, it's a new existence in Christ. It's understanding that, that it is in his kindness, it's in his love for us that we are exposed in our sin. That's, that's what we see in Romans twelve six, where it says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines those he loves. And, then, and Paul says in Romans 2, 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And the supreme measure of God's kindness is found in the sending of his only son for the sake of the world. Jesus Christ is, is what has been called the gladdening light. He is the holiest of holies. He, he is the light that shines in the darkness not to condemn the world, not to condemn fallen, sinful humanity, not to condemn you, but that the world might be saved through him. He is the light that cannot be unseen. Uh, Recently, I watched this video uh, of a young man who had been colorblind since birth. If you've seen any of these videos, they are unbelievable, and there's countless of them, but this one's the best, I promise you, because I watched them all. Because once you start watching them, you can't, un, you can't stop. They're just unbelievable. This kid had been colorblind since life. is about 10 years old or so. I watched this one so many times so that I wouldn't cry up here telling you about it, just for the record. I watched it like 40 times. I still, I still cried a lot. Anyway, they're standing in the backyard of their house. This kid, 10 years old or so, and his dad hands him this box. The kid opens it. You see on the table, there's a bunch of colored balloons laid out and like colored pencils and stuff and 
The kid puts on these, I mean, they're not the sharpest looking glasses, but they're pretty decent, okay? And he puts them on, and he just kind of looks around, and they start identifying colors, because I don't know how a colorblind person sees, but they do sort of see shades of different things, and so he's caught yellow and green and blue and purple, and then he starts looking around the yard, and you can tell he's a 10-year-old child, and he's just overwhelmed, and he's looking around, and he's constantly kind of flipping them up like registering in his mind, this is what blue is, this is what green is, this is what, and, and just kind of getting in his head what is happening there. And, and I want to tell you, one of the most powerful moments in the entire video is the entire time his dad, who's like in his Saturday morning pajamas, and it's just like they did not prepare for this video at all, okay? And he's just kind of standing in the background going, what do you see? Do you look at the sky? And, and, and the entire time he is doing everything he can to hold it together. The entire time. In an instant, this young boy is just overcome with emotion. And I was too. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm like right on the verge right now trying to hold it together. So if you want to smile at me, that's cool. Um, I'll take that. But he's just, he's just overcome with emotion and he, he can't say anything. And he's seeing this new world that he's always lived in. It was, it was incredible. No, I'm actually pretty good. I'm just trying to find my spot. <laughs> this child, in the, in, in the moment, just all he can, all he can say, it's just to his daddy, is thank you. And then he says something like, I think I like this better than being colorblind. Just really cute. Just un, unbelievable. I, I want to tell you, again, that the most powerful moment in that short video is the boy's father standing behind him, weeping in joy because his son, because his child, has received this incredible gift. And that we see a glimpse. Like we're given a hint. God does this for us in ways that we need to be able to look for. We're given a hint of our Heavenly Father's expression for His redeemed children. Remember, it was because of His love for the world that He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. It was His love for this fallen world that necessitated such a great price for our redemption. You see, God's love gives. God's love gleams. It shines into the darkness, and God's love galvanizes. And we're told in Luke 15 that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Listen, this is what happens. The father in that story, in that, with the little kid with the glasses, our heavenly father in heaven, when he sees one of his children coming to him, what does he do? He doesn't sit on the porch and say, what an idiot, where have you been? He leaps up and he runs out into the yard, pulls his robe up and runs to him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a robe on his back and says, we're throwing a party because my son is home. This is the love of the Father. That is the giving, gleaming, and galvanizing love of our God. And so what do we do, right? Like what do you and I do with that? Verse 21 says that whoever does what is true or whoever does what is right, the same idea there. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, okay? They come to Jesus so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen that those who have been redeemed in him are like a city on a hill. Andrew prayed this earlier, and we didn't even talk about this. I didn't prep him with verses. We don't plant those seeds. Sometimes God just knows what he's doing. 
You're like a city on a hill, a a city that cannot be hidden. He actually says this. If you ever pay attention in Matthew 5, he actually says, you are the light of the world. You are. And then he says, God didn't light a lamp. He didn't light the lamp that is the church so that it could be put under a basket. That would be ridiculous. You light a lamp so that you can illuminate the space around it. Jesus says, in the same way, just like we light a lamp, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know why Rivercrest Presbyterian Church exists? I don't know if we've had this conversation. Or perhaps more appropriately, do you know why you exist? Have you ever thought about that? We say it on our website. This was my conviction this week. Man, we say a lot of stuff on our website that we don't say out loud enough here. We exist for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's what it says. That's our mission statement. We exist for the glory of God and the good of others. It it is so simple, it might be called simplistic. We exist for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's because we believe that the best thing that we can do in this life The best thing that we can do in this life is good for others. And the greatest goal that we can have is the glory of God. Why? Why do we believe that? We believe that because we have seen this light, this gladdening light, this holiest of holies has come into our lives. We believe it because the light has come and it has has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We have seen the love of God in our lives. We have felt that expression. It's a love that gives. It is a love that gleams. It is a love that galvanizes. And so now we live for his glory. That's why we're here. That's why you are here. To let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's why we exist. Not just on Sunday, Every day, every moment, always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the air that we breathe, for the beating hearts in our chest. We thank you for we thank you for surrounding us with people that you didn't that you didn't put us on an island by ourselves. Lord, we thank you this morning that we woke up. We didn't even control that. I mean, we may have set the alarm, but ultimately you kept us alive when for about six, seven, eight hours we had no idea what was happening around us. If there, if there is no more humble thing that we do every day than to close our eyes and count on you. So we thank you for waking us up. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy to come here. We thank you for the freedom that you provide for your church wherever it is gathered to come. And we pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who don't enjoy that same freedom. We pray that you would strengthen them by your spirit. Lord, I pray especially today for your church that is continuing to grow in China. I have never hidden. I've never been forced to go into an underground room to worship you. And yet I know that a few hours ago, millions of your people were doing just that. Help us not take these things for granted, God. Help us to walk with you. 
Help us, to, help us to gladly walk with you. Help us to be so galvanized because of what you've done for us that we would live for you today, tomorrow, every day. God, mold us into your people. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.